Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day. It's the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it, even though I am operating in the dark. So now one of the things that you may not have um, ever considered is that I stand uh, in the morning um, in, in in a little radio studio, and it's completely dark in here because it's obviously got soundproofing all the way around, and therefore no what? No windows. And so even though it's technically light outside, it's dark in here now that the power is out. And so uh, send, up a, uh, send up a prayer, um, not just for the restoration of power, but that I might be able to see in the dark sufficiently uh, to continue the conversations that we intend to have today. So maybe you have a friend who's living in the dark. This will be my, uh, connect, my connecting point between the conversation that we had in the first hour about friendship and Christian friendship and what that looks like. Um, and, and the conversation about the meaning of words. And so when we talk about um, the word light, like what does that mean? Well, it could mean that something is not heavy. It could also mean that something is illuminated, right? It's light. Um, it could mean that it's uh, uh, not a weighty concept, like there's a, there's a light conversation. We tend to have fairly heavy conversations here, but we don't tend to have dark conversations. So um, it's interesting to me that uh, the word light, it can be juxtaposed against the concept of something that is heavy or weighty um, and juxtaposed against the concept of darkness. Now, darkness is, it can weigh a person down, right? I mean, I think that when we start talking um, metaphorically, there are all kinds of directions that we could go here. Jesus is what? Jesus is the light of the world. Um, And he came into that which was darkness. But you know what? People love the darkness more than the light. Now, I love darkness in terms of a sleeping environment. I don't love darkness pretty much at any other time. And so um, if you're trying to navigate in darkness, you need light. You need the illumination that comes um, from Christ. And so you and I are operating every single day in a world that is, frankly, pretty dark. Dark themes in um, in media and dark uh, people living under the oppression of, de- of depression and darkness. And we need light. And so be a light bearer today, right? You, um, you have a, you don't have a light saber, but you have a light savior. And um, be a person who is a person of light today. And that's not to say that we are always going to be, you know, like light and airy uh, in terms of we are never going to talk about weighty matters. No, no, we're going to bring the light of Christ to bear in the darkness. We are going to be, as Paul describes it, um, points of light, right? We're going to be the light of Christ distributed in the darkness of the world, penetrating, piercing um, the dark veil. And so just recognize that today, that even if you, if the power goes out, right, where you are, like it has here, that does not mean that the light of Christ can't still shine. In fact, uh, we need it to shine all the more. And so be a person who is prepared today to be light. 
and be a person who is operating in the light, even in the midst of increasingly dark days. All right, Bill English is going to be back here in just a minute. He and I are going to continue our conversation about the leadership lessons that we learned from the life of David. Um, And we're going to move this week into the concept of vows, the vows that we make and what happens when we break those vows. So vow making, vow breaking, that is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I am joined this morning by Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill and I are working our way through a series of leadership lessons that we're learning from the life of David. Bill, welcome back. Well, thank you, and uh, welcome to uh, uh, a world of darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say. I was asking Paul if you could send a picture. Of what that looks like. I could, like. I could. I could use my phone and take a picture, but the, the the flash would flash and then you wouldn't really know. I mean, I'm just, it's a, the only, the only light where I am there. So the Comrex, which for those, um, for those listening who don't know sort of the technology that we operate on, um, because I'm in Nashville or outside of Nashville and, uh, and the studio is obviously in the Twin Cities. Uh, St. Paul on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. A little shout out to our uh, to our parent. Um, uh, and so I use this thing called a Comrex, and it's I don't know it's well now that now that cell phones have gotten so much bigger, I was going to say it's like three or four times the size of a cell phone. But now it, if you have one of those giant Samsungs with the big screen, it's like half the size of a tablet or twice the size of a big cell phone. And the microphone plugs into the back of it, and my headphones plug in, and the and the Ethernet plugs in. It has a little screen that's about the size of a cell phone screen. I have the light from that. Oh, okay. So there is a little bit of light. <laughs> well, and there's the and there's the like, seam of light that comes between my little barn doors, which are the soundproofing uh, behind which I'm now standing, and the window on the other side in my uh, in my little studio. So I have like a seam of morning light coming through the corner of the room, and then I have the light from the equivalent of a cell phone uh, on the desk. Okay, see, I couldn't... Which ha- means you're going to have to carry the conversation this morning um, in terms of what we're reading from 1 Samuel 19, because okay. I right. can't see my Bible. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's start with the Vikings, and then we'll move to the twins. <laughs> talk about broken vows. All you got to do is talk about the Vikings, right? And, and, and you, you understand the whole concept of broken vows. So... That, right. so that, see, that was a joke, a twin, right? That was a, a joke. That's a Twin Cities reference, yeah. right? That's it a is. football reference. It we is. To, sometimes, sometimes we have to tell people what we're talking about because not everybody listening lives in the Twin Cities. And so they're like, the Vikings? Like, is he talking about the marauders of old who drove in boats and and burned their people on funeral pyres at sea? Is that what he's talking about? No, no. He's talking about a football team in the Twin Cities. Yes. Right? Yes. And they have broken their vow? <laughs> to win, yes. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, well, you know, let's let's not do the Vikings. Let's do David. <clears throat> let's do David and Saul, and all that's going on here. So this is this is part of the leadership lessons. Is actually part nine of a long series that I have posted here at Bible and Business, and the and the uh, 
the title of it, The Test of the Broken Vow. We're in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 18. I won't read the whole thing, but the the concept, not the concept, but, but the summary is that Saul is mad at David, uh, and Saul tells Jonathan uh, and his attendants to go kill David. Jonathan steps up to Saul. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan steps up to Saul and basically speaks well of David and gets Saul to change his mind about killing David and instead uh, restores the relationship between them. David is brought back to Saul. He is once again in his personal service as he was before. And then war breaks out. David is sent uh, to uh, take care of the conflict. He does so in a stellar fashion, comes back, and Saul once again becomes very angry and dis distrustful, paranoid of David, as it were, and he again tries to kill him, and David runs away. I think for the last time here, he goes to Samuel at Ramah, and uh, and David is trying to find some place to hide from Saul while Saul is continuing to try to kill him. Saul has obviously broken his vow to David to not kill him. And that's where I pick up and I say, as Christian business owners, how do we handle ourselves when people break their vows to us? Because it is going to happen. And in a larger context, how do you and I and everybody listening here, how do we handle it when people break their vows to us, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in uh, uh, in business, whether it's in uh, a- another venue such as employment or maybe it's uh, it's even in the NFL and football where we pay a lot of money for tickets and and they lose, you know, something like that. And I, I'm being facetious on the last point. but uh, So I think that when um, – let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'd like us to distinguish between maybe um, the concept of a promise – and uh, a contract and a vow. Like when we when we have these conversations about words, um, maybe we could maybe we could talk a little bit about. Well, gosh, I make um, I make commitments or I make promises, and some of those, you know, I'm going to like keep to the best of my ability. But when we're talking about vows, we're talking about you know something that's at a different level, or you know, the level of an oath, and and then maybe when we're talking about uh, entering into contracts with business, we can we could sort of have a conversation about what that looks like. Does that sound Does that sound like a good direction to go? Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to do that right. Uh, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com about the leadership lessons we can learn from the life of David. So if you've ever uh, taken a vow, if you've ever made a vow, you know the um, intensity of that moment. You know how seriously you are considering the words. We have all seen, um, you know, members of Congress. We have certainly seen the president of the United States make a vow and a pledge. It's a it's a pledge of sacred honor. I'm talking with uh, Bill English this morning from BibleandBusiness.com about the vo- the vows that uh, King Saul made and then broke and the impact that that has uh, not only in his relationship with David, but on our understanding of leadership. And so, Bill, let's uh, let's return to the definition sure. here. What, what is a vow? So a vow is a solemn promise. It's a pledge. It's a personal commitment to uh, achieve a goal or to take one or more actions, it, or to not take action, as, as it might be. 
the vow is really dependent upon the character of the person making the vow, all right? That's the, the goodness or the richness of the vow is entirely dependent upon the character of the person making the vow. Uh, the promise is just the pragmatic outworking of that. The promise is I, I promise to do this or that or I promise not to do this or that. And then you'd ask about what's the difference between a vow promise and a contract. The contract is just the legal form of the promise. Again, the contract is only as good as the people behind the contract. So in a sense, it's a legal writing down of a vow, so to speak. Uh, but that's how I would differentiate between those three. And, you know, there was a point in time, this is still true in lots of places, yeah. in lots of relationships, where, you know, your handshake, right, that's that's sort of the ceiling of the, of the promise. Like, right, that is the contract. Huh? We shook hands. We agreed. Um, and that's enough. We don't need a written document between the two of us because I trust you, right? right? I trust you to keep the promise that you've made or to fulfill the agreement that we've made. Um, but we seem to have moved in our culture to a time when almost everything is written down and legally contractual. Is that because we are bad at keeping our promises? We uh, we are vow bra- makers and breakers? Like, how do you – or is it just because – we have lots of lawyers now, and they need work. I think it's the latter, and I think that tort laws have been distorted, and uh, <clears throat> lawyers have created uh, lots of avenues for them to, um, in, within the judicial system, to make a lot of money and create need and demand for their services, where I don't think it existed. You know, you go back 50, 70 years, the, the, the need for lawyers uh, was not that great. Or maybe not quite so many lawyers. Yeah. Okay, so and that that's not a slam on lawyers. And even if you texted me right now, I wouldn't get it because I don't have any power. So <clears throat> there you go. Um, all right, so because there's lawyers listening who now uh, their feelings are hurt. So I didn't I had to take that back. Talk about um, Saul's vow. Right. Saul obviously broke his vow. He right? broke he, his vow. Yeah. And and then what do we learn not only from that, but like sort of on David's side of it? What do we learn? Well, David, I think, might have been a little naive here and Jonathan, too, quite frankly, because Saul has already tried to kill David a couple of times. Now he makes the vow that he won't try to kill him. And so Jonathan brings David back to Saul. I think both of them are being a little naive here because, again, a vow is only as good as the character of the one who is making it. And so when you look at Saul, just in context, you got to know that Saul's not a guy who's going to keep his vows. He, he's just not. And so uh, to me, they're a little bit naive. Um, but it would be nice if we didn't even have to make vows, right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say my yes is my yes and my no is my no, the Matthew 5 thing? Um, or is that Matthew 6? Anyways, um, Yes, my yes is yes, and my no is no, and my word is my word, and if I give you my word, I'm going to fulfill it, even if I get injured in the process, right? It seems to me that that's what we're really after when we're when we're creating vows. So, you know, when you start talking about my word is my vow, and you start um, referencing, you know, Jesus saying, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, there's no reason for you to, um, you know, make an oath or swear by, uh, you know, by heaven above or by the footstool of God, like, right, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, as Christians, when we say my word is my bond or my word is my vow, 
we're not just talking about our word. We're talking about the one who is the word in whom we abide, uh, live and move and find our being. And so for Christians, the testimony um, is born against Christ himself if we make a vow and then break it. Oh, I agree. I I mean, that's the character, right? It's the character of Christ that is maligned if, as Christians, we take and then break vows. Yes, especially if you're wearing your Christianity on your sleeve in business. Now, some people don't. uh, But if you're wearing it on your sleeve in business and then you're going around breaking your word, all that does is drag the name of Christ through the mud. Well, and if you're a Christian and you're not wearing uh, your Christianity on your sleeve— um, like you're, you're not, people don't know that you're a Christian. You're out there in business, but people don't know that you're a Christian. Then, then I have to like ask the question, like, well, then who are you or what are you? Cause I don't, my Christianity isn't something that I can take on and put off. It's not a put on, right? It's who I am. It's, it's, uh, you can't skin me. Like I can't, that it can't get it back off. So it's not like I could operate in, in business in one way. Um, and then in the rest of my life as a Christian, like that's not legit. You know, I I I might I might disagree with you a little bit on that one. It's there are meetings that I go into where I don't tell people I'm a Christian. I don't use the Lord's name uh, to say, you know, well, if God wills this, we're going to do this or that. It, it's right, just, right, right. Yeah. You know, I guess, I, I so I guess I that's wear, what you I and I are talking about different sleeve. things. Yeah. Well, but it's who you are. It is. It is. It You're doesn't always operating me. out of right, 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 right. I think that maybe that was yeah. Okay. Yeah. So but, I'm I'm tracking with you. But you know, there's there's one thing I've I've to to tangentialize here for just a moment. Um, this whole marriage debate about gay marriage and and Christian marriage and so forth and so on. I would like to see the government just get out of the marriage business, or even if they don't, just have the church move away from having state-sanctioned marriages. Seems to me that when two people stand before a God and and a pastor and vow to love each other for the rest of their lives, that those vows are so much stronger and so much more binding than any legal document you can sign in the state of Minnesota or any other state in our fine union, that um, why would we care if we're actually legally married? Because once you're married before God, if your yes is yes and your no is no, that's the binding part to me, the, the, the state part of the of the marriage, I have come to believe is just inconsequential, and so I'm, I'm just going to toss that out there because I it, it just seems to me that that the church need not uh, deal with the the legal aspects of marriage. Okay, so that that is another topic for another day. That is actually soil that I have tilled a lot oh, in have my you? Uh, in my professional experience. Yes, and oh. it goes the this conversation actually goes um, pretty deep. Um, because here's, here's by the biblical definition, you take a woman into your tent, you're married to her. Oh yeah. So, so in our culture, when we start talking about what you're now talking about, every person with whom an individual has ever had sexual intercourse, that is a person to whom they are married in the eyes of God. And so we talk about polygamy or polyamory. We got people in our culture who are polyamorous and therefore by God's view, polygamous. And that is right. Like you start talking about that, you are getting into really interesting um, territory in terms of the conversations of the day. So you and I have to leave it right there with that provocative thought. <laughs> um, and because uh, because we got Breakpoint up next, and I'm sure Don John Stone Street has some uh, equally provocative things to say. Bill English, thanks for being with us. People can check out what we're talking about together at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. 
So globally, um, there are people living with far less than you and I live with here in the United States of America. And we have talked about poverty and we have talked about um, the challenges that people in poverty face around the globe. One of the conversations um, about what people are facing around the globe has to do with health and access to um, clean water and uh, and so there's there's a there are a number of conversations that we could have related to these things. Malaria would be one of those. I remember, you know, just having the conversations a few years back about um, the rise in malaria related and then other mosquito borne um, diseases. We don't often talk about tuberculosis, um, but it is it continues to be a, a scourge around the globe. And, and then there's AIDS. And there was a period of time in which lots of people talked a lot about AIDS and the AIDS epidemic. Why do you not hear that much about it anymore? Well, that's because we've actually made some really incredible progress. Since the, um, the commitment of the United States and others uh, to, to combat AIDS, to actually work together, not only through policies, but through um, interventions uh, back in the Bush administration, Like, right, that's when we really got revved up on this topic globally. So we've got some good news reporting now on on AIDS around the globe. And we actually are on the horizon where it's possible to imagine we could eradicate this epidemic globally. We're going to have that conversation with Mark Lagan from the Friends of the Global Fight Against AIDS, TB and Malaria up next here on Mornings with Carmen. According to a recent study, nearly 30% of kids in middle and high school are bullied, but only a fraction will ever report it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I've talked to students who were bullied for being adopted, for struggling in school, even for having a mom or dad pass away. There's truly no wound too deep for a bully to avoid. They spot the pain and they go right for the target. Yet most kids rarely report getting bullied. Sometimes they're too ashamed to admit it and other times they fear retribution or ridicule. Parents and teachers should be on the lookout for bullies. We might never suspect what's going on unless we ask. Do you find your son or daughter climbing up? Ask the question. It's our role to protect our teen. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Mark Lagon is back. He is with the Friends of the Global Fight Against AIDS, TB, and Malaria. Welcome back. Delighted to be with you, Carmen. All right. It's wonderful to talk with you. And let me just go ahead and highlight for folks where they can find the information that you and I are discussing today. It's at theglobalfight.org. So theglobalfight.org is where you can um, read the good news that Mark and I are going to discuss today, as well as um, get some equipping uh, in terms of your own prayers and your own um, advocacy in terms of uh, policies here in the U.S. So first of all, let's just start with some good news out of out of Africa, good news from around the globe related to the fight against AIDS? Well, there are a a number of places where uh, the generosity of the American people and the the will of uh, the world community have helped really bend the curve uh, on HIV AIDS. Uh, In 2005, uh, 2 million people were dying a year of HIV AIDS, and now it's about 900,000. 
Um, but that's, uh, you know, a glass half empty as well as a glass half full. There's much more to do to save those who uh, are equally children of God to you and me. So let's, so, I mean, I remember it hasn't been that long ago that, you know, literally a, an HIV and certainly an AIDS diagnosis was an absolute death sentence. That is no longer true. There are, like, we now have the tools. Um, talk about that. Talk about the fact that we now have the tools for um, uh, not only those who are diagnosed, but we actually have the tools to prevent prevent anyone ever contracting it again. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's not only no longer a death sentence or an inevitability that if a woman uh, contracted AIDS that she would pass it along to her child. There are drugs to treat people. They can live with AIDS for a lifetime. And, you know, it's complicated to take the treatment, but it, 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 it's something that is quite manageable. There is uh, preventive medicine that can be given to women uh, so that they, you know, would not um, ha have AIDS pass uh, to children that they bore. Uh, and as far as prevention goes, um, you know, there's a combination. There should be no one-sided approach of only condoms, uh, you know, or, or some particular thing. But between um, young girls being aware um, about, you know, their sexual activity that they should, you know, you know, their sexual debut ought to be delayed. And um, they, uh, you know, dealing with sexual violence and dealing with particularly vulnerable populations, testing them um, and, and frankly, having eyes that we don't um, consider certain marginalized uh, or stigmatized populations once we we can't help. Because until the epidemic is over for all populations, the overall HIV epidemic won't be done. And I feel like, Mark, that um, we don't we don't hear a lot about this. Um, I mean, you know, we, there are there are some things that dominate the news cycle uh, and there are other things that seem to seem to no longer sort of rise to the level of public awareness and therefore public concern. Um, and yet we're, we're like, I don't know, how, how, does, how is it phrased in this document that, um, that you recently sent me? We are literally like at the beginning of the end of the war on AIDS. Yeah. Like it, it, could, it could be eradicated if we would press ourselves uh, collectively into that effort. Uh, here's what we, we kind of know and then what in our general consciousness of people of faith um, we, we often don't spend time thinking about. The HIV-AIDS problem has, has been reduced massively. U.S. efforts, humanitarian, um, large, but not uh, incredibly expensive compared to what we all spend on coffee every day or properly spend on defense each year. Well, let's um, let's pause and let's just pause and, and answer that question, because I guarantee you there's somebody right now who's who's asking um, what what does a dose of antiviral uh, medication cost like per day? Like, what are we talking about in terms of a person less than a dollar? So for yeah. less than a dollar a day, um, treatment is available. Yes, and but who? Um, but, but we're talking about people for whom three hundred and sixty-five dollars a year is, um, uh, yeah, that that is way out of reach. 
Well, the, uh, we, we just put out a report with two um, well-thought-of partner organizations, the American Foundation for AIDS Research and AVAC, which is a global advocacy organization called Translating Progress into Success to End the AIDS Epidemic. And we know that if you keep the costs down and you make sure that everybody um, has access and people who are uh, marginalized among the poorest, um, stigmatized populations, young women, if they have access um, to being uh, uh, tested and treated, um, we can bring um, the epidemic under control in particular places. Um, one thing that's quite good um, is in addition to the United States having its own aid programs, the U.S. gives to um, the Global Fund to combat AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, and it does two things. It gets other countries to kick in so that it's not only on the shoulders of the United States. Um, and also, it buys drugs and testing equipment and um, diagnostic commodities at large scale. That drives the cost down. And, and so there's a kind of economies of scale. So the U.S. is putting um, its leverage in to bring that cost down um, with others coming to the table through that global fund. All right, I am talking with um, Mark Lagon. He is with the Friends of the Global Fight Against AIDS, TB, and Malaria. You can find it at theglobalfight.org. Is it O-R-G? I'm in yes. the dark, by the way. So my, I am, I am literally talking to you this morning. I'm in the dark in my studio, and so if I miss, if I misreference something that you're thinking to yourself, why is she not reading that off the screen? That's because I don't have one. So, uh, so there you go. So I know that it's the global fight, and it's .org. Mark and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment because Mark, I want you to, I want you to tell us. Like, I really feel like if we talk about um, prevention and we talk about treatment, and then we talk about stigma. I feel like um, those are three areas where everybody listening right now could get their hearts and minds around this and could certainly be uh, not only a prayerful advocate, but in our own communities. This is actually something that we could we could talk about in a way that you are not only informing us, but you're equipping us for, for a really important global conversation. So we're going to continue this conversation in just a minute here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Lagan from the Friends of the Global Fight Against AIDS, TB, and Malaria. You can find it at theglobalfight.org. Uh, Mark, let's talk about um, the, the, the front lines here, the edges. Um, I know that you point to Latin America. I know that you point to women and girls. I also know that, you know, if we, if we sort of take the question in a different direction, you talk about prevention, treatment, and stigma. So uh, push us in either, you know, in, 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 in either of those directions now in terms of this conversation. Um, what do you think is helpful for listeners to know in terms of um, sort of how we can press forward with what we know to actually not only make progress, but end, bring an end to AIDS. For putting your finger on prevention, treatment, and stigma. If we're to, you know, bring uh, as Christians uh, prayer, reason, and evidence together, we know something. On prevention, it, it's a multifaceted approach. This report that uh, our organization co-sponsored on ending the AIDS epidemic indicates in certain places like um, Rakai, the Rakai district of 
Uganda, in Malawi, in Thailand, the different things work in, in different places. Um, but scaling up uh, testing for those who are the most vulnerable people, young women um, uh, and, and key populations who are, who are vulnerable, that works in Uganda. Um, behavior, uh, you know, about your, uh, you know, sexual debut or practices was very important in driving it down. And then also reducing um, discrimination, uh, you know, um, gay men were discriminated against in Uganda, that decreasing, you know, as, you know, fellow um, children of God, that that matters that people, what, whoever they are, should have access to, to treatment. And, uh, you know, I don't think it should be a one-size-fits-all, fit, but in Thailand, um, you know, they dealt with a situation with, uh, you know, a, uh, a rampant sex market by, um, by looking at prevention measures. Treatment, uh, you got to, when you find people on uh, that have uh, HIV, you got to move them quickly from testing to treatment. And that is a key that we've learned in some um, places like uh, London, the larger areas of Sydney, Northern California, where that, that pivot from lots of testing, easy access, not being hung up on consent on, on testing, and then moving to um, people uh, getting treatment, we know that works. And um, stigma that you raise, I, I already raised in the Uganda context, but um, we shouldn't uh, treat you know, any category of human being as, um, as less than human uh, when it comes to their life being worth saving. You know, I think that it's easy for, um, it's easy for Christians to feel their, like, heartbeat in their chest, right, when we're talking about girls um, and how marginalized many girls are around the world in terms of access to everything that girls have access to here in the United States. Um, and then, and so I think that there are some of these um, edges and trends where it's a little bit easier for Christians to say, yeah, I can see myself advocating on that front. Maybe a little bit more difficult in some other uh, areas of the conversation, but we need everybody advocating where they feel called and where they can. And so Mark and I are not saying everybody has to advocate on every front. What we are saying is um, everybody has to advocate on the front where you are called to the front line of this particular conversation at this particular point in human history. We have the opportunity in this generation. We know what we not only know what the tools are, we have them to end AIDS in, in, in the world globally. And so if we want to talk about the way that, um, that we can advocate prayerfully, um, that we can inform ourselves and learn more, you can go to the global, the globe, I can say it, theglobalfight.org, um, and you can get the information that you need. You can be equipped in that way. And you can start talking with other people about this vision. What would it look like? The church is already deployed around the world. The church already exists in these places. And so if we were to come alongside our brothers and sisters in these places around the world where AIDS is um, a, a much more significant reality than it is here, although it is not eradicated in the United States, let us not fool ourselves into thinking so. Um, but if we were to recognize that the church really is already deployed in all of these places, and if we were to advocate with Christians um, on these fronts to destigmatize 
the services that are needed um, by people in these communities and and then also to uh, encourage them to participate as partners in the global fight um, that we would come alongside them and encourage them to do this. They are living on the front lines, and what we're talking about doing is being the supply lines of the things that they need, putting the tools that we know um, and that we have in their hands so that they can actually um, bring this this good effort to bear uh, in places around the globe. Is that does that a does that get at the issue, Mark? Yeah, I think you put your you know um, your finger right on the key matters. First of all, the huge uh, success in driving down incidents of AIDS in a- Africa had to do with the vulnerability of young women and mothers passing along HIV/AIDS to their children, and there's been a real turn. But the women not and girls not having access to education and economic empowerment hurts their ability to have access to to being treated and frankly they'll never get to be educated or to have jobs or to uh, you know um, be entrepreneurs or be caregivers and family uh, leaders um, if if they're dying of HIV AIDS um, also you are so right that that the faith community are sometimes the most vital actors around the world um, so it's, sometimes it's really not a secular nonprofit or a local government clinic, but a church or a pastor or people of faith who are the ones who not only can advocate, um, but they actually deliver the, the testing, treatment, care, love. Talk with us, Mark, about, um, I know we have like one minute, but um, Latin America, because we have focused a lot um, on Africa and I know that Latin America is uh, is a is a new front on this as well. Yeah, it remains a, a problem, and, and and of course, uh, any place where there is a, a, a sex industry, that is also a, a place where one has to um, look for you know uh, you know those who are who are you know purchased by male sex buyers. Um, that they, um, you know, that they be helped, and that that's a case of us not, you know, letting stigma get in the way. Um, but there, are, it, 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 it's so many advantages in Latin America of potential economic strength that there's no excuse for not taking the lessons of testing, prevention, and it, even the the drugs that we know um, can prevent uh, HIV/AIDS or HIV/AIDS being passed from a mother to a child. Thank you, um, Mark, so much. Um, let's uh, let's continue this conversation over the course of time, um, and maybe as we uh, as we move into, um, I mean, what I think of as malaria season around the world. Maybe our next conversation could focus on malaria. Would you be up for that? I, I would love for it because children are vulnerable all over the world to the mosquito, and we have it in our power to do something about it. Absolutely, the power of the net. We just need a network. All right, Mark Lagon from the Friends of the Global Fight Against AIDS, TB, and Malaria. You can find it at theglobalfight.org. We'll be right back. All right, so um, what's before you today? That's that's really going to be my question. Uh, if you're listening to us um, and it is morning and you are on your morning commute or you are on your way to school, um, or maybe you are already settled in in one of those two locations. Let me just encourage you to 
be uh, be a light, bear light in darkness, even if it's not um, actually physically dark where you are right now. Uh, it, it is dark in the lives of other people. They are lonely and they need friends. So just reach out. You are proximate to other people today. Become a friend. Find something in common um, and build a friendship today. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.